0: world welcome back to the core consult rx podcast my name is mike corvino with me as always cole swanson what's up man
1: nothing much got our third pair of your students on the podcast today
0: yes blake and ethan Mm -hmm. what's going on gentlemen doing well doing great good to have you guys here today Uh, both are fourth year pharmacy school students and uh, stuck with me all month on Mm. rotation. It's going to be a rough July. (laughs) All right, so we always uh, like to start off talking to you guys and um, kind of get to know a little bit of the student population down here in Charleston. Blake, let's start with you, man. So you have a uh, kind of an interesting story because you didn't have a choice. You had to become a pharmacist. It was destined. I
2: don't know about destiny, (laughs) but, you know, we were talking always had the same spiel, so... I'm from a small town in the Upstate called Whitmire. Um, my granddad was actually a pharmacist and opened the store in 1966, so been open 52 years. You know, as of as of this year, um, my dad's also a pharmacist. You know, so long line, but uh, I guess you could call it destiny if you if you think about it that way. But you know, we're our pharmacy still has the soda fountain and everything in it. So that's uh that's something interesting to to bring. So that's third awesome. generation
1: pharmacist. My dad was definitely not a pharmacist.
0: Mine was not either. <laughs> What, um so growing up, like, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you were working some some kind of shape or form in the store. Right. Um, did you, like, kind of always just assume you would be a pharmacist or did that kind of just so sort of... That's what was up? funny.
2: So I, I used to, you know, you always do the elementary school things where you they ask what your career wants to be. You know, first, second grade, I always said pharmacist. Third grade, I think I said pharmacist. Then all of a sudden out of fourth grade, I think I said, like, trash man. And so mm-hmm. from then through, like, college... Yeah, it took a while to come back around. You know, I, it was always in the back of my mind. I did biology in undergrad um, and then, you know, got out of that and started working in the pharmacy and really seeing I could do this for, for a while for, for life. So as a career, I could see it happening. Um, so, you know, back to the destiny thing. It always comes comes back around. So
0: I think the, gar- the garbage thing really does make sense to me because, <laughs> hear me out, because I don't, now it's different now because they have like the big claw that right. moves the trash can. Which But is they awesome. used to, it, it, well, it's okay. It's you kinda, don't like the claw? I don't because I used to see the guys riding on the back of the dirt garbage truck, right? Yeah, you're right? outside
2: all day, you're oh. hanging on
0: the back of a truck. You're hanging on the back of a truck excitement. flying down the road. That you've looks seen, You've awesome. seen Toy Story, haven't you? I have seen Toy Story. <laughs> it's the claw. Okay, fine. Okay, I mean, come on. You, okay that's a good point if you if you're the guy using the machine like from like i guess the handle i've never seen how these things work yeah i assume there's a dude holding the handle because there
1: still is a guy on the back i think he just kind of gets up and, you know cleans up whatever on the ground i, I don't know i
0: don't see the guy in the back anymore really that's a big letdown okay maybe we don't have enough trash in our neighborhood maybe, but.
1: maybe charles maybe charleston doesn't can you put stuff out on the road and they pick it up
0: i have no idea My, yep.
1: you've never tried that everything you can okay absolutely downtown in. uh in one of my friend's neighborhoods around here, can't do that.
0: Yeah. I, I've always growing just, up, I always did that. I've always just thrown it in the, the bin and then assumed if it was lopping over the sides, they wouldn't take it. The bin? Because of the claw. like the big, huge trash can they give you. You call it a bin? Whatever it's called. Okay. Trash can. It's, it's not a can anymore. It's this massive <laughs> container that they dropped <laughs> off my house one day.
1: That's true. It's not a can. It's not a yeah.
0: can. All right. So, Blake, you're going to be running the uh, family business at one point?
2: That's the plan. Moving back, so.
0: Are you and your dad gonna have to arm wrestle to see who takes
2: over? <laughs> Somehow, you know, he works. He works probably 80% of the hours at the store right now. So, um, he's gonna have to give give up a little bit of that, you know. And uh, I'll I'll work into that as we, you know, move through the next year. Have you guys ever
0: talked about um, doing, like, opening another pharmacy, like a second pharmacy, or do you...
2: You know, in the back of my mind, that would be the ultimate goal. Um, But for now, just moving back and trying to, you know, work into the role with that at our one pharmacy for now. So, ultimate goal, absolutely. would love to branch out, but for now, just the one. That
0: would be a hard, like... The family dynamic of that, like, hey, dad, I need a raise ASAP, <laughs> or not liking your sign on salary. <laughs> like, that would be uh, awkward family conversation. Diff- yeah, a different. Uh, dad, dynamic. My
1: allowance isn't high enough. I need some more.
0: That's cool. Ethan, give us a little bit of uh, background information, man.
3: Uh, yeah, I'm a country boy, born and raised on a farm. Uh, and I'm from a little town called Aynor, about two and a half hours away. Um, not nearly. The exuberant goals of being a trash can man, but uh, <laughs> I did want to, uh, when I grew up, be a uh, farmer um, and ride a tractor. Yep. That's so.
1: almost as good as the claw. <laughs> yeah. I mean, almost you got the ones with the big wheels and everything. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's pretty
3: sweet. The double wheels in the back. Oh, the yeah. Air conditioning, yeah. Oh, they've got air conditioning. They have AC now? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, oh, what?
0: I'm a little bit more willing to listen
3: now. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not real
1: farming with AC.
3: And then, and then to complete 180 and... Now I'm trying to be an aspiring legal drug dealer.
0: The um, as far as like making that switch, I mean, did you always have like an interest in at least like chemistry or biology or something?
3: I did. Um, so my family has like a ton of health problems. So obviously I was fascinated um, when I was younger uh, by my parents because they would be taking meds. And I remember this one time my mom had a tooth surgery and she was taking some meds. And I was like, "What are you taking?" And she's like, "The good stuff." <laughs> so I've always been fascinated by drugs and kind of like learning about it. And then I would say I knew I want to do something medical and like give back to the community and stuff. And um, I was taking organic and my professor was just so passionate about like synthesizing and doing all of this cool stuff. And I remember in my Ochem book, they actually had like descriptions of how they make drugs using organic chemistry. And I was like, this is so cool. And it kind of got me really interested in pharmaceutics, um, and basically he convinced me to switch, and I became a biochem major, and this story is history, and then I ended up doing research for him, and actually was played a part of one of his projects for synthesizing antibiotic for gram-positive coverage of a bacteria. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so, and then, voila.
0: So you've played a part in drug discovery. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've uh, I actually thought For a long time Like when I was younger Like early Early undergrad days um, I thought there was Going to be A part of me That was going to end up Doing more like PhD work Like doing like A D PhD And doing more Drug discovery And then I realized I like to talk to people And not be stuck In a lab all day Yeah (laughs) But definitely uh, Very cool stuff I would do I think if I could Like finagle my way onto like a team To like do some Drug research stuff Like here and there Just to kind of help out I would do it I just couldn't do it Full time Yeah They probably don't need my help anyway, so... (laughs) Being the uh, lack of bench work type... Research experience. Yeah, exactly. Cool, that's awesome, guys. So, what going forward, obviously, Blake, we kind of know your route. um, More community pharmacy. Um, Ethan, are you thinking community, thinking residency? What are you thinking?
3: I'm hoping I'm shooting for pharmacotherapy residency once this year is up. Very cool. Awesome. Fingers crossed.
0: Any idea, like, where you would like to go if given any opportunity
3: um charleston's really grown on me i've been here for eight years so far and uh i hope to stay
0: you stay at musc Yeah, stay that'd at be MUSA. cool very cool um
3: eight years did you do undergrad here i did i went to college at charleston okay Got five years. you've
0: been downtown for a, a minute oh, now
3: oh yeah That's you don't get tired cool. of the traffic oh yeah I, I actually my p1 year i actually lived out in west ashley in the the commute was just horrible. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to go back to living back downtown. Yeah. It's so worth it.
1: West Ashley. Uh. Uh, as <laughs> what, we, what were you <laughs> thinking? As we sit in my West Ashley house.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: agree. The uh, traffic has gotten ridiculous around here. But that's pretty cool. Um, so today we went over to uh, Charleston Southern University where I teach for the PA school. Got to show these guys some of the uh, the building and what we have going on. And um, one of the things that I haven't gotten to put on social media yet that's pretty cool is, and I don't know if I told you about this or not, Cole, but you, we have these goggles now that you can put on, and mm. the, the dummy that's laying on the, the, the bed that you're just doing assessments and things of, um, now with these goggles, it causes like augmented reality. to So when you look through, you can actually see through the dummy, see the heart, see the lungs, ribs, really? all that oh, stuff. Was that the thing you
1: were talking about was like Iron Man? Yeah. Can you, you move can, the like, stuff around? pull the organs into 3 D right.
0: space and put the heart over here and lock it into place and then bring come back over to the lungs it is crazy that's insane um plus you can mess around with like ultrasound or they have one where the um a female a pregnant female is giving birth and you can actually watch the birthing process from the inside really um yeah because you can see through the body like as the baby mm-hmm. well as the <laughs> like looking through the body not as <laughs> not the baby's point of view <laughs> I'm not sure why that would we're go, we're, why that would help. We're going for. I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's. Yeah, I don't know if that would help clinical knowledge or not.
1: Just you know, so you can be in you, your patient's shoes. Yeah, you know, I, man, we'll put in the suggestion box <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs>
1: All right. So, what should we talk about today? That's a good question. Yeah. We did ask that question about 20 minutes ago. We did. But we figured it out.
0: We think we did. Yeah. We're gonna go over osteoarthritis. Yes. And uh, originally we had this whole plan to like make a joke and like say osteo- osteoarthritis, <laughs> I mean, I just say anything. and then uh, actually start talking about osteoporosis. But then we figured you guys wouldn't think it was a joke, and yeah. we were just really dumb. So because
1: yeah, we do say things wrong every once in a while, mm-hmm. so you probably especially cool yeah, oh, especially <laughs> me. Oh yeah,
0: I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, so we're gonna talk about osteoarthritis, um, and uh, we'll go through some of the treatment options. We won't get super in depth of it, and not a lot of trials or anything necessarily, but give you guys a like kind of a basic overview it's not uh, super
1: complicated it just gets a little hairy when what you're trying to use doesn't work and there eventually just comes a point where surgery is kind of the only option for a patient to get significant relief of pain but we'll talk about that so osteoarthritis what is it Uh, generally people think of it as a disease of wear and tear on the joints and the cartilage Uh, it used to be called degenerative joint disease They've kind of gone away from that because there's more to it than just you know your joints moving back and forth and wearing away the cartilage over years uh, over you know a patient's lifetime there's biomechanical factors pro-inflammatory mediators that are going to cause inflammation and add to the deterioration uh, proteases and other things that are all going to play a role so the patho is a little more uh, complicated than you might think but for now we really only treat the symptoms we treat the pain and inflammation uh, hopefully in the future, they'll go more towards slowing or stopping the progression of the disease and they'll target those sorts of things with the medications, uh, kind of like they do with rheumatoid arthritis because it seems like they're, you know focusing on the mediators of the inflammation and pain. Uh, and you know we'll get some better therapy for it.
0: Absolutely. So I guess to kind of get started, um, the first thing to talk about is the the non-pharmacological, Treatment. Sure, because there's definitely some benefit to treating the patient in the kind of lifestyle management versus just starting off with um, pharmacotherapy. So, one of the big things you may imagine, and it really depends on where the actual osteoarthritis is taking place. So, if it's the hands, um, you know that may not play as big of a factor in certain like exercises or weight loss management. But if it's knees, feet. Um, Things like that, then obviously weight loss is going to be a huge factor. So, if you have a patient that is, you know, obese or uh, even overweight, then you definitely um, would want to encourage weight loss because taking some of that excess body weight off of the joint um, just in day to day moving around is going to help them a lot. Um, There was a study that showed that at least if you can lose at least 10% of body weight um, through a combination of diet and exercise. Um, then you can have a, a reduction of about 50% in pain scores in these this patient population. Um, they were specifically looking at um, knee osteoarthritis, um, and it over about 18 months. So 10% is a good bit um, for some people, especially who don't necessarily have the desire to lose weight. But if one of the benefits is getting pain relief, um, you know, using that as part of your discussion can definitely help encourage them.
1: Yeah. And within that, like you said, exercise is really important. Uh, There's a study put out just about 10 years ago from the OARSI, which is the Osteoarthritis Research Society International, uh, basically saying that uh, an adequate exercise regimen can provide as much pain relief as an NSAID and obviously is going to uh, not have the side effects that you can see with NSAIDs, especially in elderly patients, which uh, obviously osteoarthritis, we didn't, um, you know, talk about too much about risk factors other than obesity, but age is obviously a risk factor. Um, female gender, uh, with osteoarthritis, the hands is also more common. Um, and there's other comorbidities like insults to joints, um, and things like that that can increase your risk, but age is definitely a factor. Exercising is of course difficult, but NSAIDs are going to be pretty high risk for, you know, GI bleeds and uh, cardiovascular events down the road. So Anything we can do that avoids medication, I think, would, would be better before we start one, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, some other things they can try is, kind of like Cole was saying, is using assisted devices like a cane, um, maybe shoe insoles, if, depending on if it's the knees or hip or something. Um, application of heat can also potentially uh, provide some relief. Um, and Is in- the
1: uh, alternating heat and cold, is that a real thing?
0: I think that's more for like injuries. Um and I think it's acute more so swelling. Yeah, I think so it's more so for ice, um, in that because 'cause you're I think rice is still a factor, am I right in that gentleman? I don't treat uh, acute injuries too often, but I would think that, that still kind of plays a factor where they have uh the what is it, rest incline and uh what's, what the heck is rice stand for? I don't remember. I am sound like an idiot right now
2: compression maybe compression
0: sounds right and then elevate E is elevate i is ice not not what did i say incline i'm such a i'm such a moron <laughs>
1: uh, uh, should have just stuck with rice left to write that. Uh, ruined <laughs> should, it. shouldn't have gone with the acronym that's
0: all right that's okay i know you guys get to see what kind of moron i am
1: but people throw around the alternating the um, hot and cold thing but that never fully made sense to me i mean if you if you have like a a crick in your neck and you're trying to relax a muscle that's where heat makes sense to me mm. and, but then if you're trying to treat inflammation and try to get swelling down that's where cold makes sense to me right but i don't really see why why heat you need alternate yeah. yeah but i'm sure there's a better answer than how i simplify things in my head
0: yeah we'll we'll, we'll uh, do some more research and maybe do another there podcast you go. episode on it that'd there be you a go. good one but um, yeah so anyways that's some of the the actual know lifestyle management things but exercise keep going back to that one that's that's the really the biggest one exercise improves um, so many things in a patient's life but even in in this case of osteoarthritis which you may think like if you have osteoarthritis you can't exercise um, which is a lot of times I don't want to say an excuse but um, ways that patients can justify not exercising but talking to them about very like basic exercises that they can do or resistance um, bands, or things that are very like light on the joints, um, you know, walking short distances, things like that that maybe be something that they, they can actually accomplish in the short term um, and work their way up to harder, more intensive workouts are, is definitely important.
1: And it's important to set goals for them because for patients who have osteoarthritis, that's incredibly debilitating. Hands is one thing, but knees and hips is another. And if a patient can't walk, they can't complete their activities of daily living. So uh, your goal for therapy might not be complete resolution of pain, but it's going to be to improve the pain to a point where they can be functional. Um, did you mention like walking aids and canes and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so whatever you can do to help their, you know, functional status, improve their quality of life. That's kind of the goal, while minimizing risk and minimizing side effects. That's kind of the goal of osteoarthritis therapy.
0: Right. All right. So, what do you want to start if we are going to use pharmacologic therapy?
1: Well, probably with just what you think is the first line, NSAIDs, really.
0: Yeah, um, NSAIDs seem to be kind of the the staple, I guess, for starting off. Now, there is some some suggested uh, I don't want to say guidelines, but some resources that will definitely suggest using. Um, Using Tylenol, acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, depending on what you're looking at, Tylenol has very limited um, reduction in pain, and so and inflammation, and inflammation really. exactly. And so there's there's definitely some um, like the up-to-date authors that um, wrote something on uh, osteoarthritis treatment um, seem to really stay away from NSAIDs. But, I really um, stay
1: away from Tylenol.
0: I'm telling you, yeah, Tylenol I misspoke. So Tylenol for sure. Um, And they recommend NSAIDs. And, um, you know, the big thing with NSAIDs though is starting off with topical, if possible. Yeah. Um, One of the more common topical NSAIDs is the Diclofenac. Mm -hmm. Um, Voltaren gel. -Gel. Um, Diclofenac is great because you can... Um, one measured out very easily. It has this little plastic piece inside the container that, when you pull it out, and uh, you can measure out in grams um, how exactly how much you should be applying, and then you can apply it with and get the topical benefits, the local benefits of the NSAID, but not necessarily the systemic absorption of an NSAID.
1: Yeah, and just uh, a little note from a pharmacy standpoint: if you're prescribing it. It's really helpful for you to put how many grams you want them to apply uh, per application, because for insurance reasons we have to put a day supply, so all prescribers out there, be nice to your pharmacist and, and help us
0: out with that. Yes, absolutely. Put a uh, day supply, it, some kind of a indication so we can calculate day supply, right. not five tubes and then just 30 day supply uses directed. Right. Insurance companies will not they appreciate don't like it.
1: it. Especially because it's not a cheap thing. It right. is generic now, but it's not a cheap thing.
0: Um, there's some others as well. Um, what's the, uh, is it Penn said? Yeah. Um, but some of those are very expensive. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other topical agents like you can do like flector patches, mm-hmm. which is a um, topical uh, diclofenac patch, mm-hmm. um, things like that. But Voltaren seems to be the, the one that's the most Um, reasonably priced and easy to use so that's definitely a good topical agent to start with
1: yeah as far as other topicals some people use topical capsaicin cream which works for some Uh, you know it's not really as potent but if it works give it a try relatively safe
0: yeah capsaicin so if you if you're not familiar with it it's kind of made from the the extracted from uh, red pepper Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the side effects is it can burn a little bit um, cause some redness irritation um, but what it does is, because it works differently than an NSAID, um, it's basically working to deplete substance P, um, which is another inflammatory mediator, and so capsaicin can get rid of that and reduce the inflammation from that route. So it definitely can help. Right. Um, the problem is with capsaicin is it takes a few weeks to really start working, and a lot of times you have to use it multiple times a day in order for it to really show the benefits. Right. So it's available over the counter though, worth giving it a shot. And, um, you know, you just want to make sure you'd separate it by a couple hours if you're going to use it with an NSAID topically.
1: Right.
2: And make sure people know to wash their hands after they use it. <laughs> yes. Before they touch their eyes. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. a good
0: point. because, uh, yeah, red pepper in the eyes is not no. ideal. No. All right. Where else? Um,
1: anything else topical?
0: Um,. Not necessarily.
1: Is there there a role for topical corticosteroids? Not not really that I'm aware of.
0: No, not that I've seen.
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, other than oral, there's intra-articular injections. Uh, Some people will get steroid injections every four weeks. Uh, That's because they're generally limited uh, to a short term. They only last a few weeks. For some people, they only last a couple weeks. Uh, So it's not usually first line either.
0: Yeah. A lot of potential issues with that and hyaluronic acid is another one they'll use sometimes Mm -hmm. but i think those are usually saved um more so for you know cases where they don't want to do surgery but they've tried all other right oral options
1: trying to postpone surgery usually that's because the patient doesn't want to do it and they'll try whatever they can to avoid surgery but honestly we'll get into it at the end but the earlier you can get that going the better chance you have of having a good outcome because once you get to a certain age uh, you know, it's going to be harder to do the PT and do the rehab and, you know, bounce back from it. Right. So oral NSAIDs.
0: Oral NSAIDs. So the big problem with taking NSAIDs are on the clock for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have tons of side effects with them. Um, they can affect the kidneys. They mm-hmm. can start to increase blood pressure. can cause GI issues, including potential bleed. Yeah. Um, and so if we kind of think about how NSAIDs work... Um, you know, starting with arachidonic acid, then you have the COX-1 pathway, you have the COX-2 pathway. And SIDS will block both of those. But, um, you know, with COX-1, we have this production of prostaglandins and mostly thromboxanes, um, which, you know, that's where we get our, like our aspirin and things like that because we're trying to block the production of that because that's our vasoconstriction um, molecules. And so for... You know cardiovascular benefits, things like that. We want to block the COX one side of things. The COX two is more of our vasodilatory, um, but also our inflammation. So that's where like our um, pain, things like that, um, will associate from is the COX two element. Um, and so NSAIDs that are non-selective, we can use you know, ibuprofen, um, things like that. You can use naproxen. Mm-hmm. Um, the can... There's an oral clofenac. Yeah, well. absolutely. Um, you can use things like. Um, there are a little bit more cox-2 selective like meloxicam or even like a true cox-2 selective um, anti-inflammatory which would be like celecoxib, um which will just block cyclooxygenase 2 um, and then you'll block those prostaglandins and hopefully reduce the the pain um, now the problem with that is if you're using a non selective and you are breaking, you're also affecting the COX 1. Um, the thought is that you're putting yourself at risk for a GI uh, issue as well as mm-hmm. affecting the kidneys and things like that with the RAS system.
1: Yeah, so they, they, some a lot of people recommend in patients with a lot of comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, if they're elderly, they'll say go with a COX 2 selective celecoxib. If it's not super expensive, it's reasonable. Uh, but from what I understand, the benefits are potentially. You know, not super significant.
0: And, you know, one thing to keep in mind, too, there was actually a study um, that's kind of important, I guess, to talk about. Uh, the PRECISION study, a PRECISION trial that looked at uh, comparing ibuprofen to naproxen to sulicoxib. Um And the big issue with using the COX-2 inhibitors is... Uh, because if you remember, like, Vi- was it Vivox that was available? It was a COX-2 inhibitor available um, for a while, but it was taken off the market because it had um, basically increased risk of cardiovascular problems. Um, and so when you're blocking just the COX-2 side of things, you are allow- you're blocking the inflammation and pain. However, the thromboxane is basically uninhibited, and so this vasoconstriction over time, they thought they could increase your chances of having a cardiovascular problem. So what Precision did is it took patients with uh, osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, and it gave them one of those three options, and they wanted to compare and see if those patients had a, one of them, or you know multiple agents had an increased risk of cardiovascular issues, and so they compared the results against each other. Um, what they found at the end uh, was basically that none of the three arms—the ibuprofen, naproxen, or celecoxib—had um, an increase in cardiovascular events. So they were kind of all even. Um, one thing that was a little interesting, though, was naproxen was a little bit higher as far as um, pain reduction. A little bit, little bit scored a little bit better than the celecoxib. And it's um, only twice a day. It was only twice a day. And um, the other thing, which was kind of interesting, and this is kind of going back to why we need to really dig into trials, is they did report that you had a better GI profile with um, celecoxib compared to naproxen. And they said that it was better in major GI events. But if you go and actually look at the supplemental uh, like data, they say that you know that composite that they call the major GI events was basically just Um, The only things driving that composite that were significantly different were constipation and then anemia from a possible GI origin. So things like GI bleed, um, all those types of things were not different between the two classes. And so um, this is a good case of using, in my opinion, using naproxen or celecoxib um, and whatever ones the patient's more comfortable with um, because I think either one would be would be fine and i would even pr- probably feel more comfortable just based on that study not using very high of doses of silicoxib using if they have cardiovascular issues that you're worried about as well yeah, you know, i'm using a proxin over a cox-2
1: yeah so the other cox-2 inhibitors were was biox. biox. that's what you're going for uh, rofocoxib and bextra which is valdecoxib so just so we're you know
0: yeah covering all of our base. full disclosure there you go taken off the market
1: mm-hmm. yeah so that's the uh, and then if those don't work which patients can be on these for a long time it can be for a short period of time where maybe they're exercising and uh, strengthening strengthening the muscles around the joints to improve it but at some point it's probably going to stop working and they're going to have to move on uh, if the inset stop working that'd be another time where you could say hey let's give ty- extra strength tylenol a try Uh, see if it works for you because it's relatively safe when we take it at the correct dosage Uh, but if that doesn't work for them you know you kind of got to move on other things that people have looked at they've actually looked at cymbalta which is duloxetine so an snri which they'll uh, use for various types of pain um, but they actually looked at it for knee osteoarthritis uh, and there was a little bit of benefit to patients who weren't responding
0: to other therapies so that's something to consider um. Also, you know, you could consider something like a tramadol um, also is going to have uh, serotonin benefits as well, but um, tramadol being a uh, opioid derivative pain medication, probably not something with, with all the slack that um, opioids are getting nowadays, yeah. um, probably not the route you want to go down, uh, but if it's something that a patient uh, you feel like doesn't have a high history of abuse or a likelihood of abuse, and you've tried other options, Um, maybe NSAIDs and COX-2 inhibitors are contraindicated for whatever reason. Um, Maybe a short-term duration tramadol would be something to consider. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just moderate pain improvement. I wouldn't say anything that's drastic that you would definitely want to put every single patient on it.
1: Yeah, and the thing about opioids in general in these patients is they really don't work on this kind of pain all that well um, compared to other types of pain. And, of course, there's all the concerns with them with the addiction and uh, opioid overdoses and things. So really not the best option. If you're going to have to use it, it would be for a short term and it would be for, like, extremely debilitating pain where the patient wouldn't even be able to function without it for a period of time, hopefully uh, with surgery in mind at that point.
0: Yes. Um, You know, there there are cases where where patients will be prescribed uh, sustained release or controlled release opioids, Um, even like morphine, uh, hydromorphone, things like that. I've even seen fentanyl patches used. um, I would definitely urge you to use extreme caution in going that route. Um, Definitely a lot of, you know, potential problems there and something that I would save for very special cases and um, definitely not look at as a normal treatment option but there are p- indications there are patients who um, that may be the appropriate treatment
1: yeah and then you kind of get the surgery and i've mentioned surgery being a good option because it does it's very effective in patients with knee and hip osteoarthritis who get total replacements uh, but it doesn't come without its issues so there are, is a significant percentage of patients who continue to have pain after surgery uh, there can be post and post-operative and um, you know issues during the surgery that can arise Uh, and you know a lot of patients if they're not motivated to bounce back do the PT um, then they might not have as favorable outcomes as somebody who who did and with increasing age that gets a little bit more difficult but it is an option once you get to a point where uh, the pain medications just start getting the job done
0: yeah um, what about like something like glucosamine? Cause that's something that a lot of people are into now is the, the supplements the supplements. Um,
1: so it doesn't seem like there's too much data physiologically backing them up. Right. Yeah. But there is something to be said about the placebo effect.
0: Absolutely. And you know, I don't want to say there's not any, cause there is a little bit of data, some really small studies that have, have shown a benefit with glucosamine, um, but definitely not a ton. Um, but as far as placebo effect, one of the things that's kind of interesting, there was a study called the Gate Trial that compared the effects of glucosamine, chondroitin, um, and then also a combination of or excuse me, a combination of glucosamine and chondroitin together, then celecoxib, and then placebo. And then so they had those those uh, different treatment arms, and then. Um, at least 20% improvement in pain um, and they used the Western Ontario and McMaster University's questionnaire to determine pain was achieved by 60% of participants in the placebo group so <laughs> of, of the patients in the placebo group 60% of them had at least a 20% improvement in their pain which is a little interesting
1: well the range of uh, patients in the active treatment group was only about 64 to 70% yeah so in, in that sense I mean there we we've talked about the placebo effect mm-hmm. a fair amount, yeah, because it definitely seems to be a thing, mostly when it comes to um, psychiatric illnesses. Not to say that you know, osteoarthritis is a psychiatric illness, but I think that there is a considerable psychiatric component in a lot of uh, cases. Just you know, thinking about your pain and kind of obsessing over it. If you think something's helping, then. You just may be ignoring the pain a little more.
0: Absolutely. And I think you know if you look at something like up to date, um, the the authors will will quote um, basically saying, um, keeping in mind the whole do not harm prerequisite to treatment, um, that you know these patients may benefit from clinicians who are able to optimize and use the placebo effect in clinical practice in favor of their patients. So, you know, encouraging patients to give something like glucosamine, if you know that they're not going to have any kind of adverse side effects from it, if you know that they're able to afford it, you know that they're not going to have any drug interactions, um, maybe encouraging them to try it because it may be something that the patients that that in and of itself is good enough for them to feel like they're having some improvement and it may genuinely give them some improvement. But it might be a little bit of a placebo effect in there as well.
1: Right. And it's going to be very patient specific because they have to buy into it for the placebo effect to work. So if you're like, hey, patient, all right, let's try glucosamine because nothing else is really working. They're like, come on, doc. You know, I'm already taking all these pills. I don't want to take one more, you know, supplement or something that might not even work. You would think that person probably wouldn't benefit as much as somebody who maybe brought the idea to you and said, Hey, I've heard this working for other people. Can I give this a try if it's safe and you think it's going to help them and it's not going to be overly expensive uh, or it's not going to add a significant pill burden. Sure. Let's, let's see if that helps you out. any."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something to consider, but I also wouldn't jump to that in, in taking away from understanding the patient's pain is real to them. Right. So even if, um, and that's something that, you know, I have to always focus on for myself Is you know pain is so subjective and people have such huge varying thresholds of pain that if someone says they're in pain, you can't just automatically assume that you know oh just just they just need some placebo effect and they'll be fine because they may legitimately be in severe pain. So keep that in mind as well. Got to make sure that we're not uh, being biased towards people's pain because that's a hard thing for a lot of people. Yeah.
1: And so as far as mortality in these patients, you don't usually think of osteoarthritis being something that kills people, uh, but it, it, it can be debilitating. And uh, with other comorbidities, does increase patients' risk of death. Uh, it increases patients' risk of cardiovascular death. Um, patients who have other conditions such as diabetes and other significant cardiovascular risk factors, they're at a higher risk of mortality because of osteoarthritis as well. So... It's not limited to just symptomatic uh, treatment. You're potentially prolonging their life by treating their OA.
0: Absolutely. And you know when we say that it's causing an increase in cardiovascular disease or, or worsening of their diabetes, it's because they're impaired physical right. function. They can't. They're not able to around. exercise. They're unable to get yep. around. And so any kind of sedentary lifestyle is going to promote those types of diseases. And so, yeah, it's not the osteoarthritis itself that's enhancing it. Right. Um, but it's the inability to move and become mobile right. and exercise.
1: Se- secondary factors. Absolutely. That are caused by osteoarthritis, I'm sure.
0: Yep. What else? Anything else for osteoarthritis?
2: That's all I got. Anything else, gentlemen? I think one important thing that wasn't really touched on, um, there are a ton of OTC products for this. I mean, I know we talked about capsaicin um but you know pretty much every brand has an arthritis you know targeted therapy i mean it can be anything from menthol to camphor to um capsaicin like we talked about um and i actually in my last rotation we did some community outreach and osteoarthritis was so we did presentations on diabetes and immunizations and at the end of both we asked what the group you know what the what the senior center group that we went to would like to hear about next and it both of them was it was always arthritis so this is a super important topic um, and a couple of things they brought up, so like I've mentioned OTC products, one that you'll hear about a lot is, is one called blue EMU mm. and it, you know, it can, that one actually has MSM and, um, glucosamine, I believe, you know, so you'll see all these combinations of products, just important to keep in mind when you're, when you're counseling patients, as far as what they bring to the counter from, from OTC products, there are a ton, ton of products for this.
1: Yeah. I think that's the race car driver in the commercials so That's the blue EMU products is it a race car driver an old guy he's, he's some he's the name you'd recognize but i can't remember his name
0: i uh i've definitely se- i don't know what that is but i've definitely <laughs> i've definitely seen the blue emu you watch before. nascar no i don't i can't say that i do <laughs> um but i've definitely seen blue emu um but yeah there's definitely a, a whole bunch of over the counter now they have like uh on top of that they have like cream with lidocaine mm-hmm. and all these mm-hmm. different things as well so um Definitely being aware of what's available of the counter is important.
1: Yeah. And to your point about that being what they said they wanted to hear about, it's pain. So, anytime there's pain involved, that's what's going to be at the forefront of their mind. They don't really care about their diabetes at that point, they don't care about their hypertension. Uh, They're focused on, you know, what is acute, and that's their pain.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else?
2: That's all I
0: have. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. and uh, yeah, so with that's osteoarthritis. we'll uh, we'll have to look more and kind of spread out a little bit. Do some rheumatoid arthritis in the future. Yeah, and kind we'll of get it. a little bit more specific, but that's your general overview. Mm-hmm. improv conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so thank you guys so much for listening and reach out to us if you have any questions concerns comments uh, so on all social media platforms and um, you email us if you need want to' uh, mcorvino at coreconsolerx.com or, col- or no C. Swanson mm-hmm. at coreconsolerx.com and uh, let us know what you think and if you have any comments or concerns let us know and we will see you guys next time appreciate it